Chapter 9 Dangling Bits With Rill leading the way and Gil protecting my flank, the passage eventually ended at a stairwell. The door at the top of the stairs opened into a foyer. It was the first bit of architecture and design that deferred from the stark realities and stone slabs that made up the keep. They had painted the walls in this room a pale blue, accented with a soft eggshell white wainscoting. There was no furniture, but a crystal chandelier and wall sconces shone brightly to illuminate the area. The room had one exit, opening directly across from the underground passage. The door protected by a pair of guards. I didn't recognize the weapons they were using. It almost looked like a blend of rifle and yari, a Japanese-style spear. Their weapons were crossed, barring anyone from entering. They seemed well-trained as they stood there offering no greeting or a challenge, simply standing at attention, staring directly ahead, their weapons and intentions obvious. They could have been automatons for all the life and movement I was capable of detecting. They would have reacted to our presence and challenged us were it not for the fact that there were also three other people waiting in the room, dressed luxuriously, brocaded tunics embroidered with Lord Kell's house crest, gold and silver accents of jewelry, items, and clothing worn with an ostentatiousness that was provincial and reminiscent of something the Novae rich would wear. It was easy to recognize that the three were of a higher level and rank than the guards. They made sure their status was apparent in the clothing and trappings of power they wore. Two men and one woman, all of whom bowed in greeting as I studied them. Their bows seemed more artful, trying to convey meaning behind each movement, hands opening and closing in a syncretic performance that was meant to please the recipient. I'm sure there was actually meaning to each movement, and they had researched and executed the respect my rank required. At least their attitude wasn't dismissive or perfunctory, like Lord Kells had been. Your Highness, the man in the middle said, speaking for each of them. Welcome to Ambassador Palace. I am Major Domo, Callum Tully, a knight in service to Lord Kell. The heavy chain that was draped around his shoulders, culminating in a series of keys, reflected his position. That chain and those keys were a tangible symbol that represented his position and power. He literally had the keys to the castle around his neck. Still, he exuded a shrewdness and intelligence that would have established his position even without the symbols of office. Allow me to introduce the gentleman, Grand Master Percival, Lord Kell's personal master tailor. Lord Kell has asked Grand Master Percival to make himself available on your behalf. The young lady is Dame Blair, a protocol instructor, well-versed in royal prerogatives, responsibilities, and duties. Lord Kell felt she might be beneficial. Lord Kell realizes time is short, and there may be some confusion and after-effects from the ascension, but if you feel up to it, it would honor him to host a banquet for you this evening. We would like to introduce you as a newly ascended prince, 
two ranked members of House Kell, if that would be acceptable. The tailor was a stuffy, fastidious man. Honestly, he couldn't have been more stereotypically perfect if they had cast him for the role. Hair slicked back without a strand out of place. His only imperfection, if I could classify it as an imperfection, was the difference in eye color. One a brilliant blue, the other reflective of gold. Dame Blair was likewise flawless. Brown skin tones, raven hair cascading in waves, and blue eyes that reflected a youth and freshness, the two gentlemen lacked. They all looked young. In fact, I hadn't met a person yet that looked older than 25 or 30, probably a side effect of practical immortality. It was hard to estimate age. Perhaps there were small clues, minute details of dress and jewelry that individuals wore that would help establish an age range. They often based clothing choice on comfort and style a person grew up wearing. Other than denoting position, power, and accomplishments, those small idiosyncrasies might help. But until I had more time to chat with Carrot, I was oblivious to their existence, or how to recognize what fashion may have been popular during what era. Your Highness, Lord Kell informed me of your arrival, and directed my staff and me to make ourselves personally and immediately available, Grandmaster Percival said. His lordship informed us that you will be traveling to the capital to be presented to their majesties and would need an entire wardrobe designed and crafted before you began your journey. I admit I was unfamiliar with the Belroth bloodline. It has been at least a thousand years since the last known Belroth descendant served, so I will need to do some research into crests, emblems, and heraldic devices. But Belroth's influence is well known as the god of sun and healing. Your colors should include oranges, reds, greens, yellows, or blues. Do you have any preference? He asked. Not really, I replied. Maybe keep the theme of fire like my hair and eyes? Is there a heraldic device reserved for retainers of the Belroth bloodline? I'd like a device that could be embroidered into tunics, cloaks, and pocket squares, and allow those who serve to be easily recognized. When I research any existing crests, I will also try to discover if house emblems exist. Parsifal promised. If there isn't one, design one with the sun in a starburst pattern. Perhaps share the design with armorers so that leather workers can include the emblem. Creating a heretic design for your house is one of the royal prerogatives you now hold. Dame Blair interrupted, her voice and countenance differing vastly from Grandmaster Parsifal. She radiated the same shrewdness and intelligence that Major Domo projected. Yet somehow my sense was that she was much younger than the others, some small inflections pinging my perception that suggested she had recently attained her majority. 
it was apparent that she was a determined, astute, and insightful woman, perhaps even that she felt she had something to prove. I wonder if sexist attitudes carried over to this realm. You might consider a structural framework for the device so that ranks and levels for retainers can be easily recognized, perhaps a border in deferring metals that coincide with a person's rank? Blair suggested. Easily done, Parsifal agreed. If the Belroth family already has devices registered, then it will still be possible to implement the emblem you suggested as your personal device. I will also search the crystal net to make sure the sun with a starburst pattern does not conflict or infringe on other family standards. I don't foresee any real problems, but if one exists, I am sure I can modify your suggestion. The device will also need to serve as his seal, Dame Blair reminded Parsible. So make sure the devices aren't so onerous that no metal worker or jeweler can reproduce the crest. Is it possible to have an outfit created and ready for a banquet tonight? I realize crest, seals, and jewelry may be a stretch, but clothing, simple and elegant, should be possible, shouldn't it? I wondered. Of course, your highness. Once we get your measurements, we will begin construction at once. I will have sample patterns for your heretic device in time for you to make a decision and include that device on a tunic or cloak. In that case, I said, addressing Major Domo Callum, inform Lord Kell and his staff that I will make myself available for dinner this evening. Thank you, Your Highness. His Lordship will be pleased. Squire Cedric, he said, directing our attention to a young man, waiting patiently outside the room. Escort His Highness and Grandmaster Parsival to the Gold Chambers. Your Highness, once Sir Parsival has taken your measurements, perhaps Dame Blair might escort you and familiarize you with the palace. The two of you can discuss what protocol lessons you may require, if any, at that time. Dame Blair, I said, acknowledging Callum's suggestion. If you wouldn't mind postponing for an hour or so, the day's events have been fortuitous and exhausting. I find myself wary and would like to relax for a while and refresh myself from today's events. After a short nap, I would be pleased to walk the palace halls with you. Perhaps we can discuss protocol and the need for lessons over tea once the tour is concluded, I finished. Of course, your highness. Simply direct one of the staff members to notify me when you are available. I have cleared the next several days of duty to free up my time so that I may be available when your schedule allows. Following Squire Cedric to the gold chambers that had been set aside for Parsifal to take measurements was short and uneventful. I didn't attempt to catalog items, architecture, or directions as we traversed the hallways. I really was exhausted and hungry, so ignored my surroundings completely. Dying, being reborn, killing and the need to clean and pack the detritus of the degenerate night thumb would exhaust anyone. 
Parseval was almost vibrating with excitement at the chance to let his creative abilities free reign in fashion masterclass clothing for a ranked prince. We'd no sooner entered the room, I'd been assigned, when he began rubbing his hands together gleefully. I wasn't certain why a tailor so highly ranked would choose to settle down and craft in such a out-of-the-way province. He probably had valid reasons, but my imagination decided he was a lover spurned and had retired to Kel Fief to lick his wounds and heal a broken heart. If you would disrobe, please, I'll get your measurements, Parsifal said, interrupting my musings. His lordship has stressed the importance of presenting the best image possible, and that time is of the essence. Body image had always been a problem for me. When you're overweight, getting naked in front of other people is not the most comfortable feeling. I began disrobing reluctantly before I finally realized that this body was nothing like my former. Tall, lithe muscles. Even a six-pack. I certainly had nothing to be ashamed of. I wondered if all Sealy were so well endowed. I wasn't wearing an undershirt, but the briefs I had on were the same I might find on Earth. Elastic band, the pouch in the front... Short style, not boxers. Silky texture, almost like a pair of latex exercise shorts, and a vivid hue of green. They were the most garish color I'd ever worn. I asked that a dozen sets of underclothing be included as part of my order, in whites and blacks. I won't be able to outfit you with a complete wardrobe by tonight, but if you give me a week, certainly... We can create something not only suitable, but fashionable. That is fine, I agreed. As long as you have something for me to wear for tonight's banquet, you can deliver when you're ready. I should inform you, your presentation clothing, what you wear for your introduction to their majesties, has to conform to specific guidelines and can only be crafted by royal tailors in the capital. Dame Blair will have more knowledge about what's expected for that. You're a masterclass tailor. Shouldn't you have the skills to create presentation clothing? I wondered. In this case, it isn't about skill. It's about royal warrants. The tailors in the capital have been granted exclusive warrants to craft those garments. It's not that I or other tailors don't have the ability... We don't have the authority, Parsifal explained. The tailors that had been awarded warrants probably paid licensing fees, or bribes, but the garments themselves shouldn't be in high demand. How often was one required to present themselves before the monarchs? Parsifal was efficient, as well as quick. I think it took me longer to undress than it did for him to get the measurements he needed. Once finished, he excused himself and left quickly making clear in his opinion, as well as actions, that protocol and manners were secondary to genius and crafting. He was kind enough to let me get a robe on before opening and slamming the door in my face. He did pause long enough to bellow through the closed door that I should see about footwear when I had time. I guess the shoes I was wearing were reprehensible and would not be acceptable to showcase and accent the clothing he planned on fashioning. I wasn't sure I would have the time before tonight's banquet, certainly not the time to have something handcrafted. 
I'd have to visit this world's version of a mall at some point and buy ready wear. I probably should have considered that option for undergarments instead of taking a masterclass tailor to bother. Squire Cedric, Commoner Rill, and Commoner Gill, and I looked at each other in amusement before I gestured. Looks like we need to make a stop to purchase shoes. I'm not sure there is enough time in the day for all that needs to be accomplished before tonight's dinner, I mourned. Rill? Gill? Inform the Major Domo that we will be leaving the palace after our discussion and tour with Dame Blair to do some shopping. It shouldn't take long, and if there is time, I'd like to visit an armor dealer. Nothing I own fits anymore. Reputation with Kel God Faction. Increased 100 points. I wonder what I did to deserve a faction increase. Was it sharing the joke amongst ourselves? Or expediting and facilitating their duties by letting them know of my plans? Carrot? I thought to my spirit companion. Have you noticed I seem to know information I shouldn't? Like just now, how did I know shoes were probably mass-produced, but armor needs to be crafted by a specialist? Maybe it has something to do with our past life memories not being removed? You do seem to be displaying more and more of the common knowledge of this world. Things people just take as given knowledge. Things you should have experienced and you should know as part of growing up. I have noticed I can easily access and gain knowledge of your past life as well. Perhaps the error that allowed us to retain our memories has some bleed-over effect, and we will just absorb knowledge from each other the longer we are together. It made as much sense as anything else. And realistically, it didn't really matter how it was happening. I was just glad it was. It would take forever to get anything accomplished if I had to continually ask Kara to explain even the simplest, most common-sense tasks. Maybe I should just look at it as another skill, like daggers. I hadn't tried using a weapon or the associated skill set, but my skills tab said I had knowledge including knowledge that Carrot hadn't had. So perhaps skill, common sense, existed. If it did, I was awarding myself 10,000 experience points in a bout of self-congratulations. Tabling any further discussion, I informed Cedric, Gill, and Rill of my plans to sleep before heading towards a luxuriously appointed bed. They left closing the door silently behind them, and I allowed myself to collapse. You should set a crystal to ward and wake you before you sleep, Carrot suggested. A what? On the bedside table, the yellow crystal, imbue it with a bit of magic. It will open a display prompt that includes an alarm function and the warding rune. You can set it to wake you, and an energy field that will give you some warning if broken or crossed. Sending a bit of magic into the crystal I found drop-down menus that allowed me to interact and accomplish the tasks Carrot had suggested. The alarm clock feature was digital and holographic. A small hourglass was projected that visually represented how much time was left before the alarm would wake me. The ward had multiple settings and ranged from standard to high quality. The magic required to initiate each setting increased substantially by rank, and only those people with high magical strength would have the ability to use the highest setting. I had the strength and decided to use this setting to test the effect. Other than increase my fatigue level, I didn't notice any change. There was no emptying of mana pools or depleting magic stockpiles. It tested to see if I met the requirement for magic strength 
Once satisfied I did, it simply activated. I think I fell asleep instantly. Waking from my nap, I felt more alert. The ennui that had accumulated as the day progressed finally gone. I had not had time to dream, and my mind had ignored the countless details I should be obsessing over. Opening a few connecting doors, I discovered a sitting room, dining room, restroom, and a wardrobe. A quick wash and search through my spatial bags forced me to confront a problem. I really had nothing to wear. I was a foot taller than Carrot had been and had been traipsing around the keep and palace in ill-fitting shorts and shirt. Thankfully, the wardrobe had clothing. I had no idea whose, but they would do. There was an assortment, all exceptionally crafted and of high quality. There was enough to allow me to find a few things to wear, although not specifically tailored for me. The items I selected did a passable job and was certainly preferable to the clothes I'd been wearing. Refreshed and more confident now that I wasn't in danger of having my dangling bits falling out and becoming exposed, and happy to find that my dangling bits looked and worked as I'd hoped. I found Squire Cedric posted outside my door. Cedric, if you would have someone inform Dame Blair that I'm available, I'd appreciate it. I barely completed the sentence when I felt myself being tackled and my body slammed to the ground.